We're going to be talking about journey today. Um, we're going to be talking about people, about the fact that we are a people um, on a journey. And, and so as I think about, you know, traveling and, and moving on, there's a song that's been... Uh, there's a song that's been stuck in my head all week. I was telling Joelle just a couple of days ago. Um, it, and the song, that's been st- <laughs> the, the, the song that's been stuck in my head is, is the theme for that, you know, along with, you know, Hockey Night in Canada and the Beachcombers, that, that most Canadian of shows, The Littlest Hobo. Um, and if, <laughs> if you grew up in Canada and you are of at least a certain age... You'll know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, this Canada's much cooler answer to Lassie, you know. You know, uh, there's a voice that keeps on calling me. Down the road is where I'll always be. You all know it. Every stop I make, I make a new friend. Don't, start, don't stay for long, just turn around and I'm gone again. Maybe tomorrow I'll want to settle down. That's right. Until tomorrow, I'll just keep moving on. Right. That's the one. Um, at any, that's what's been stuck in my head all week this week. Um, so maybe that's helped me out, y'all singing it along with me. But at any rate, we're going to be t- talking about what it means today to be a people of journey. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to be looking at Psalm 130, and um, we're going to look at some sort of background where this passage comes from and the sort of context for it. And then we're going to go through the passage. Um, and, and we're going to kind of explore it the way things sort of occurred to me as, as, I, as I was looking over it over the past couple of weeks. So we're going to go through it, and then we're going to find ourselves with cause to sort of back up and, and start looking at some of the things from the beginning again. Um, we're going to find something at the end of there that causes us to have to revisit the front end. So I'm going to, we're, we're going to do that, and then I'm also going to leave a little bit of uh, time at the end, um, you know, if there's any questions that you have about what we've looked at. So um, if some things pop into your mind, some questions, I'm going to leave some time for that at the, at the back end too. Uh, so, f- but for now, let's, let's read the passage. If um, you are able... Please stand for the reading of God's word. This is Psalm 130. And it says this. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Thus far, the word of the Lord. You can be seated. (laughs) Now, this psalm is not specifically attributed in the text, like like some psalms. 
Um, but most Bible scholars seem to agree that it was, it was Hezekiah who was the most likely author of this particular psalm. Now, Hezekiah was uh, a king in the southern kingdom of, of Israel, um, and Jeru- uh, and so of Judah and Jerusalem, uh, during a pretty tumultuous time in world history. Uh, the, the Assyrians um, had been making themselves rather unpleasant as of late and had been sort of sweeping over, spreading their empire uh, kind of everywhere, a pretty cruel empire, and had even overcome the northern kingdom of Israel uh, and were laying siege at that point to Jerusalem. Um, but looking at this specific psalm, sometimes uh, for me it can be difficult to know exactly how to treat this passage because in a, short, in, in a space of a, a relatively short passage, it covers a lot of ground. Um, a couple of weeks ago, when Derwin was introducing this series on the Psalms, he, he, he reiterated the fact that there are indeed a number of different types of Psalms. Um, you know, Psalms of praise, Psalms of blessing, uh, Psalms of declaration, songs of, Psalms of confession, uh, imprecatory Psalms, lament Psalms, teaching Psalms, among others. Well, well this one seems like it could fit into a few different categories. Um, just real quickly, it, it, it's a psalm of lament in some ways, clearly. These are, these are psalms in which the writer is expressing to God feelings of anxiety or anger or, or sadness or protest or, or doubt. Um, and depending on how broadly you're prepared to sort of define this group, uh, psalms of lament, really, they represent anywhere between like a third or even a half of the psalms, you know, they sort of fall into this broad category, by far the most common type of psalm. Um, But you could also easily call this a psalm of confession. And this is, you know, psalm of confession, it's simply what it sounds like. Psalms use the the psalm to confess their sins to God. But the other um, type of psalm it is, and you'll find it in the heading, is it says it's a psalm of ascents. Um, you know, right under Psalm 130, it'll say, a song of ascents. Um, and this is a designation that's given to 15 different psalms. Um, psalms 120 uh, to 134. Uh, they're also known as gradual psalms or psalms of degrees or songs of steps. Um, and there are, there are different ideas as to what exactly this means, as to what it means for it to be a psalm of ascents. Um, some people would say, some scholars would argue that they're called that because they are sung by the returning exiles as they came back to the promised land from exile in Babylon. You know, so these would have been, um, these would have been traveling songs, you know, so this was, you know, the, of course, before the composition of such road trip classics as Life is a Highway or The Wheels on the Bus or 99 Bottles of Beer on the Wall, um, it was actually a toss-up uh, when I was asking, talking to Ellie about a closing song. It was a toss-up between um, the Lassie theme song and 99 bottles of beer. Um, we actually settled on something different. But uh, it, so these were, these were traveling songs. They're songs that would have been sung while they were on the road, on the way. It's what they would have sung to pass the time, to, to keep their spirits up, to keep their minds sort of focused on where it was they were going during what was most assuredly a long trip. Um, Some scholars, other scholars, would say that 
They're called Psalms of Ascents because they were sung by the Levites. They were the, the people who worked in the temple, and they were sung as they ascended, you know, 15 psalms, sung as they ascended 15 steps from the, the outer court area to an inner court area in the temple as they went to minister before God. They would sing a song as they went up on each step to minister to God. Um, however, most scholars tend to believe that these were sung as by, by devout Jewish pilgrims as they ascended to the hilltop city of Jerusalem for the three different um, pilgrim festivals uh, that they were required as, as believers of God who living in Judah to, to come to Jerusalem for Passover and Pentecost and for the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. They were, they were, so they, but at any rate, they were, they were traveling psalms. They were psalms that were sung as people were on a journey, whether it was from exile um, in Babylon to the promised land, or whether it's up the steps to the temple, or whether it's from wherever they lived as a part of their pilgrim, pilgrimage to Jerusalem for one of these, these festivals. So, psalms of, of lament psalm of, of confession, but also a psalm of ascents, a traveling psalm. Let's, let's look at the passage in a little bit more detail. Um, let's pick it apart a little bit here. Starting from the beginning, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. The, the writer is calling out to God, he says, from the depths. This phrase, from the depths, appears in a number of places throughout the psalms. Uh, it, it's an image, it's, a, it's, a, it's an image that refers to, to water, but it refers to, it's an image of deepest distress. We find it in other psalms. Um, it also calls to mind images of Jonah crying out to God out of the literal depths from the, from the belly of the fish. Even though the writer feels as though um, he's at his lowest point, he calls out to God, and the truth of the matter is, the fact that he and, and all Israel with them as they sing it together as a pilgrim people, the fact that they are able to cry out to God is evidence that God is already at work. I mean, if you look at um, Zechariah chapter 12, um, Zechariah is at the end of the New Testament, but I'm going to just read a few verses from Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12, starting at verse 10 says, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Um, what we find here is that the prophet in this passage is talking about a spirit of supplication being given to Israel as gift. Our capacity to appeal to God in, types of, in times of crisis is itself a gift. If we are crying out to God, it's evidence that God is already at work. But then in verse, verses 3 and 4, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, and therefore you are feared. Through this rhetorical question, you know, O oh Lord, who could stand? The psalmist is pointing out that were it not 
for God's mercy, there is, there is no hope for anyone to measure up to God's standard of holiness. Um, we all fall short, and because of this, because God knows this, God has throughout history been making ways for people to come to him, um, whether it's through the sacrificial cleansing system in the Old Testament or, or just through confession of faith in Christ for us now. He's been making ways for people to come to him. The psalmist, though mindful of his sins and of his people's brokenness, is confident that God is a God of forgiveness. God is, is feared, the psalmist says, not only for his wrath and for his blazing holiness, but he is feared for his forgiveness. Um, before we go on, just a few words about this whole, <coughs> excuse me, fear of the Lord thing. It's a, it's a little weird, the, the, the fear of the Lord. Um, it's mentioned over 300 times in Scripture, and it's almost always presented as a positive thing. Um, you know, fear of the Lord was one of the, the mandatory criteria for leadership in, in Israel, if we look in, in the book of Exodus. Leviticus, too, calls for God's people to treat the poor and the disabled and the elderly well because of the fear of the Lord in chapter 19. You know, and Pharaoh, we're told, brought disaster on Egypt because he had no fear of the Lord. You know, and even in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians tells us to work toward holiness because of the fear of the Lord. And in the book of Proverbs, um, you know, the writer is getting ready to lay out an entire book um, of, of wise sayings, but chooses to, to basically preface it all by declaring that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So while it would seem that fearing God is a good thing, we find even more times in Scripture the clear directive to fear not. Um, John, 1 John 4, 18 goes so far as to say that perfect love casts out all fear. So what are we supposed to do with this apparent contradiction, this, this, this dichotomy? Um, I think that we need to think about what is meant by fear as it pertains to God. Um, after all, in this instance, it's, it's God's forgiveness that causes us to fear him. It seems clear that we're looking at something a little different um, when we're talking about the fear of God than we normally think of when we think of fear. Um, the best construction I'm able to put on it is that when we're talking about the fear of the Lord here, at least in this context, in other passages you could argue for a, maybe a different construction, but here I think what we're talking about is a reverence, an awe that leads to an obedience to God, to a submitting of oneself to his discipline, and, and to a decision to worship him in awe. You know, all of these things together, the passage is saying, as, as a response to God's gracious forgiveness of our shortcomings. Um, I remember the deep sense of fear that I had. I, um, in, in college, my, my discipline that I studied was, was composition. And I had the opportunity while I was at school to meet um, one of my heroes at that time, a great Canadian composer uh, named Violet Archer. And I remember seeing her and she shook my hand and she said hello and introduced herself. And I have no idea what I said 
to her, to her. I remember asking a friend afterwards, what, what did I say? Did I, did I say anything? It was just this sort of paralyzing fear, but it wasn't a fear that she was going to punch me in the head or anything. Like, I mean, she was about this tall and about 88 years old. I wasn't afraid of her, but there was just this awe. There was just this, this reverence at whose presence I was in that rendered me afraid. It, 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 it elicited from me a reverence. But if we, were requi- if we were ever required further evidence that this fear of the Lord thing is not what we normally think of when we think of fear, we find it in the next couple of verses. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. The psalmist is waiting for the Lord, but he isn't freaking out because, oh my goodness, the Lord is coming, we're in trouble. It's, it's clearly a deep sense of anticipation on the part of the writer, a sense that somehow God's turning up, somehow, is going to be the answer to his problems. Um, and and this, isn't a passive, this isn't a passive belief, it's an active anticipation, he says, like, like watchmen waiting for the morning. And so, Completely does this occupy his thinking. He says it twice. More than watchmen wait for the morning. He's absolutely persuaded that God will redeem both his sin and his situation. God is wise. God is strong. God is loving. And he will save us. I'll say it again. God is wise. God is strong. God is loving, and he will save us. But for those of us who do believe that Jesus Christ was and is the Messiah, the Son of God, the truth of the matter is that God has come and that God has saved us. Um, The problem, though, is that that doesn't that doesn't really simplify things, does it? Um, God has come and God has saved us, but our lives are not problem-free, are they? You know, our, our lives are, are, are not sinless, are they? Indeed, the Bible clearly says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's, God's required standard for holiness in the book of Romans. And I'm I'm sure I don't even need to persuade you of this. You already know this. Further, Jesus himself, in in one of his um, less popular promises, assures us in John chapter 16, in this world you will have troubles. Um, Our lives are not problem-free. But I think the key to all of this lies in the context Remember that these are psalms of ascent. Regardless of of what kind of ascent you believe to be the original context, whether they were sort of the the 15 steps of the Levites, whether they were a a pilgrimage to Jerusalem or, or an exilic return to the promised land, these are songs of a pilgrim people, a, a people who are not yet where they one day will be. 
That's the context in which they're singing these songs. See, because one day Christ will return. Um, and in returning again, he will make all things right, even as it ought to be. Um, but until that time, we are to live in faith. We are to live in hope as a pilgrim people, as a people who are not yet where we will be. Because you see, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus, um, dying on a cross for the sins of the world, he said, it's finished. And at that point, the power of sin was defeated. In a visible, observable way that we all can see? No, not at all. So much to the contrary. Um, we see signs of, of brokenness and sin everywhere we turn. Um, but we're a pilgrim people. We're, we're not yet where we will be. And so we live in anticipation more than watchmen wait for the morning that the power of sin will be broken in our lives and in our world. And then three days after Jesus uh, died, he, he once dead, rose from the grave, conquering death. And at that point, the great resurrection had begun. The answer and the remedy for our every lament had begun. But is, is that in a, in a visible, observable way that we can all see? No, again, no, no, not, you know, to, not, to the contrary, it's, it's not. We see signs of mourning and of sadness everywhere we turn, but... We are a pilgrim people. And we are not yet where we will be. And we live in anticipation, more than watchmen wait for the morning, that the power of death and mourning will be broken in our lives and in our world. We are a pilgrim people. When we worship and sing praise to God, and when we come to Him in confession and lament, we do so as an act of faith, as a pilgrim people, in defiance of the powers of darkness and sin and death in this world. And then the psalmist ends... Um, the psalm with a call to his fellow pilgrims to join him in hoping in the Lord. Verse 7, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from their sins. So why, why does he call his community to this radical hope? Why call your community to a radical hope. Because it's the writer's sincerely held belief that, that hoping together as a pilgrim people can revolutionize both the way we confess and the way that we mourn. 
you know, so at, at this point, when I was looking at this, I was like, okay, I, I got to go back and take a look at this. What does it mean, then, for us to mourn as a pilgrim people? Well, it means that we mourn, we, we don't mourn as those, that, like the scripture says, we don't mourn as those who have no hope. We don't mourn like that. We mourn as people of hope. We mourn knowing that our, our God has conquered the powers of, of death. And we wait as watchmen wait for the morning, for the power of, of death and mourning to be fully broken in ways that we can see. And in the meantime, we travel and we, we, we move together in hope, holding each other up as we, as we mourn. What does it mean to, to confess as, as pilgrim people? What does it mean to confess as, as people who are not yet where we will be? Well, it means, for one thing, it means that, that we, we, we recognize that what we are called to is not yet where we are. And we have to, we have to along with God, grant ourselves grace. Um, you know, those of you who have known me for any length of time know I, I, I make no secret of the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm a recovering porn addict. Um, but one of the, 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 the key turning points for me in my recovery was, was making sure that I secured a group of, of friends to whom I, I could confess whenever I fell. And one of the things that these guys would do is every time I fell, I mean, they wouldn't let me off the hook, or it's not a big deal, Lincoln, you're fine. It wasn't like that. But what they did do is that they reminded me that that wasn't who I was. That that sin didn't need to define me. That, that righteousness and holiness was my birthright as a child of God. Essentially reminding me that I'm a, I'm a pilgrim person. I am a person in journey. I don't confess as people who are not pilgrims. I confess as someone who is not yet what I will be. We do not mourn as those who have no hope. And we do not confess as people whom Christ is through with. We are a pilgrim people watching for God's return as watchmen wait for the morning, putting our hope and putting our trust in him. Um, we do have some time, and so I did want to open it up. If there are no questions, that's totally okay. I'm not feeling awkward about that if there are no questions. But if, if you have some questions, I want to just give you some time to, to, to ask those. And, I mean, I'm not a great theologian or anything, but I've been staring at this for a couple of weeks, so it may be that I can speak into your question, or maybe we can just sort of shrug our shoulders together if I don't have anything to say about that, but yeah. 
Yes. Yeah, that's definitely a, a, a part of it. Um, that that reverence. Yeah, the did everybody hear that? Um, yeah, that that reverence does elicit a, a love because there is no cause for us to, you know, for us who are in Christ to actually be afraid of God. The fear of God becomes becomes love, and that's certainly a part of it. Thank you. Anyone else? Any questions? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The holiness of God is is no joke. Absolutely, you know. And as we do get to know Him, and as we walk along with Him, we are we are transformed. Anyone else? Yeah, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Anything else? I think we're, we're all on very good journey. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if everybody heard that, but Kay was pointing out the fact that, that all of us are in some ways on all three of those journeys. The, you know, the, the steps, the, the, the pilgrimage to Jerusalem and the return from exile, I think are all valid metaphors for for our journey as 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 followers of jesus absolutely
Uh, uh, there was one more. It, it, it does, it does. And, and, and I don't know about you, but for me, when I think of um, the things that have been forgiven me, when I think of God's deep capacity for, for forgiveness, I am odd. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm floored. I, I am completely blown away because it's forgiveness that's beyond, beyond anything that I could have reasonably hoped for, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, any, Wally, yeah? Right. You bet. You bet. Derwin. Um, if for those of you maybe didn't hear it, Derwin was asking, what, what does that maybe mean for us as a community? Um, I think, first of all, it, if we're going to take this seriously, I think it compels us to live patiently, patiently with ourselves, patiently with each other, in the understanding that we are people on a journey. But I think it also compels us to, to, 
to live courageously, um, knowing that there is no doubt about the outcome. You know, that, that God, He Himself, it says, no question mark at the end, it says, He Himself will redeem Israel from their sins. We, we can't help but, but live courageously and be a courageous community if that's the case, if we're going to take that seriously. Uh, that's my take anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because the other thing that we need to remember, even when it says that God will redeem people, um, you know, Christ will redeem people, but we are the body of Christ, right? So part of what it means to walk this out as a community is to do exactly what you're saying and to help each other out, to be a part of God's work of picking each other up. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite the, 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 the band to come on back up. Um, but I just, I, I just want to remind you in closing that there are all sorts of... I recognize that there are all sorts of different journeys represented in a room like this. Um, you know, and, and like Kay says, you know, there's... Some of us are feeling like we're so close that we can almost taste it, you know, 15 steps, you know. And some of us probably feel like we're in some, more in some sort of an involved pilgrimage, and, and yet others of us maybe feel like we were born in exile, and we're just starting our journey to the promised land. But, but for all of us, as a pilgrim people, the promise is still the same that Christ goes with us and he will, in his time, make all things new to the glory of his name. So let's, let's, uh, let's sing.